Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. And Welcome to the show. It's Stephen Brand on the Yellow Card Podcast. And I want to, um, first, before Keith gets to something I've been looking forward to for a long time, um, I want to clarify some things you guys have been reading on, on my Twitter and the show Twitter. My, show, my Twitter is Yellow Carded FCB, and the podcast Twitter is Yellow Carded Pod. Um, I'm thinking of putting together an Indiegogo campaign to keep the show funded. I want to keep the show on till 2018. Now, if Keith is realizing that, that I want to keep it on as long as possible. Now, part of behind this is I want to see where society is going with soccer. I, I came back three years ago because, I, because my mother wanted me to come back. Now that I've been back for three years, I want to take this to the next level. So when I get back from Boston, I'm going to, I'm going to launch the, the Indiegogo campaign if I hear enough pub if people want to sponsor the show. And we're only here and only as good as our, as our listeners are. If you guys want to hear more from us, get a hold of us. If you want to sponsor the show, throw us some money. And we're not asking for thousands of dollars. Not that we would turn that away. I'm, we're not that. We both may be, we both may be blonde and wear glasses, but we're not stupid by a stretch of imagination. We're not looking for massive amounts of money. All we want to do is make this show the best it can be. And there are certain aspects that it needs to do, and I, I want to make a decision on this by October 1st. Either we continue, either we continue this show as it is, low-budgeted and great as it is, because Keith and I have a lot of fun doing this, or we take it to the next level. Now, there is a part of me, and I do suffer from crippling depression, that is thinking that after October 1st, maybe, just maybe, the show goes to once a month or goes to just special shows. I want to throw it out to you guys, because I think these fans that have been created since the World Cup are more ready to devour soccer podcasts. So, in the next two weeks... By the time I get back, I want to hear from you guys. Hear from, get a hold of us. Get a hold of Keith on Twitter. He's just Keith Kokinda. It's, it's, exactly, it's spelled exactly how it's said. Or me, Yellow Card SCB, on Twitter. We're, we're more than reachable. We're very friendly. I don't bite unless, I, unless if I'm hungry and I don't have appetite, that much of an appetite anymore. Get a hold of us. We're not going to ask. We're not going to ask for your firstborn child because Keith has got children, and I don't want to have children. So what we we're just looking for someone that wants to sponsor the show or help fund the show, and you also get to fund the Substitutes po- Podcast with Ryan, Matt, and TJ Gletchen. But also, you, 
just in case if you want it, any other advantage or any other reason why to sponsor the show, Keith has to pay a bet off. And I, I did agree with him, so. Because, because he would have had to sing. He would have had to sing regardless because I'm I'm notorious for losing bets. So I'm going to get a Man United fan who likes Rangers to sing a Liverpool song that's a famine song in Ireland. And just so you think, just so you, just so you don't think, oh, I'm torturing you. Keith has been part of a choir for years, so it's not like you're having me sing here. You're having someone that actually has training and talent. Yeah, and, and there's a connection with that too. Like, there's a, I was uh, back in. Yes, I'm going to give. Go ahead and give away my age. Back in 1981, I was selected to the All Ohio State Fair Youth Choir, which every year is composed of the two 200 best high school singers in the state of Ohio. They perform at the state fair uh, every year for a couple for a couple of weeks, and I was uh, lucky enough to be selected for that. And Ironically enough, three years ago, the choir's theme was Walk Together. And naturally, uh, our director at that time uh, decided to add You'll Never Walk Alone uh, to the to the song list for that year. Now, if, for those of you who may not be familiar with the total history of the song, if you're a Liverpool supporter, obviously you do. But he was thinking in terms of, uh, going back to its origin, which is from the musical the Rogers and Hammerstein musical Carousel, uh, that was what that was where the song was uh, first. Uh, of course, you know, Jerry and the Pacemakers, one of the early British invasion bands from Merseyside, who covered it and had a huge hit with it. And uh, so, what I had to do, what I found out about this at the at the choir's performance at the Ohio State House that they do every odd number of year. Uh, I had found out about the story to one of the staff members, and I had to, <clears throat> so I had to go to the, the director of the staff and explain to them the history of the song as it relates to Liverpool, uh, specifically, as well as, as well as some other clubs, uh, most notably Celtic, obviously. Uh, but the, none of the only there were two staff members, Devin and James Dooling, who are actually USL Pro uh, referees. Who knew this? Obviously, because that they knew this, but the rest of the staff. So I had to go and explain all this to them. I was half expecting them to have me come up for the concert and explain to the rest of the audience, but that that simply wasn't the case. But uh, so yeah, there is a there is an all higher youth choir connection to it. And uh, shout out to all those kids who are getting ready to report Thursday. Thursday's moving day. Uh, it's it's uh, the only day of the year I can actually sell anything. I can acquire t-shirts all afternoon and evening long. It's the only, it's the only day I have any kind, of, any kind of sales talent whatsoever. So let me make sure my YouTube is working properly, and it is good. I had to, I had to bring this up to me. I had to bring this up on YouTube to make sure I had the right key. <coughs> And keep it there too. Remember, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not that talented where I can do this a cappella. That's for sure. So, when you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't. Be afraid of the dark. 
at the end of the storm, there's a golden sky, and the sweet of the song of a lark. Walk on through the wind. Walk on through the rain. Though your dreams may be tossed and blown. Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never By the way, for those wondering why the bet was that is because I had predicted many months ago that there was no way in the world LeBron James was ever going back to play for the Cavaliers. I figured it just couldn't happen, not possible, but I was wrong. I've been wrong before on the show, and I'll be man enough to admit it. So that's the payoff on that. Now, let's get to what I was right about with the World Cup, shall we? Of course. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Who said that the U.S. would get out of the group of death? I oh, said, I know I you said, did. I said, I said, who also said that Brazil would lose in the semifinals? Yep, that would be me. I said that as well. And who said Germany was going to win it all? So A lot of people I got said that. I... That's true. I'm not, that wasn't a risky pick by any stretch of the imagination, other than the fact that that it's the, first, it's the first time a European club has won in the Americas, number one. And number two, it's the first time Europe have won three consecutive World Cups, Italy 2006, Spain 2010, and now Germany. Uh, so no, that was a terribly risky pick. Uh, I you certainly go – I went the first one was the one I went most on a limb on because not many people uh, figured that. Certainly Taylor Twelman – uh, was happily eating crow and admitted as much on the on TV when that happened. Uh, you know, a lot of people Brazil was a popular favorite choice too, but not not a universal choice by any stretch. Of course, with Germany, <clears throat> uh, I think though I think most people who didn't pick Brazil to win at least had them in the final. And I'll admit, yeah, obviously, I had no idea that. Neymar would suffer the, the back injury or that Thiago Silva would end up missing the game due to suspension at all, I still say that the greater loss was Thiago Silva's because Germany clearly saw an opportunity that they could take advantage of, and they did. And believe me, I've been in Julian Cesar's gloves more than twice, and I know what it's like to have a big defensive hole and to, be, uh, and to get shelled for seven goals. I've been there too many times. And uh, but I still th- I still think if, if if 
the chances of Brazil winning that game, I think, would have been better if they had Thiago Silva as opposed to Neymar. If they had Neymar but no Thiago Silva, the same thing happened there. Maybe not 7-1, but the simple fact, that first half hour, Brazil just didn't have much possession, and they certainly didn't show much when they did have it in terms of going forth and attacking. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure a lot of, uh, of course, uh, I'm sure a lot of Argentines right now are thinking, boy, I'd love to play that final with Angel Di Maria out there. And I'd certainly like to see it. I think it could have made a difference, especially when you saw what Argentina was able to do in the first half, which I think, I think Argentina's, what Argentina did in the first half of the final was what we should have seen for the United States against Belgium. Yes, defend when you have to, but when you get the opportunity to go forward and take advantage of some defensive liabilities, do it. Uh, Argentina did, although they didn't get the payoff. And they had they, you know, Igu- Gonzalo Higuain had a couple chances. He also had the one goal ruled out for offside, which was offside. But uh, I don't think a lot of people expected Argentina to get to the, even get to the final, really, and to get the and to get there with. Messi not really performing at his highest level once they entered the the knockout stages to get there without with the injuries uh, to Di Maria uh, among others. I think it was a great performance. I still don't. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out how the world Messi got the golden ball because perfect. I I don't think he was even the best player for Argentina. I think Javier Mascherano was the guy who made the difference for Argentina throughout the tournament. If you're going to pick an Argentine for the Golden Ball winner, uh, Messi, of course, clearly uh, was upset over uh, the loss to the point he really obviously didn't show that he cared much about getting that Golden Ball. And I can't, you can't fault him, really. Um, it's 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 going to be seen as a fa- as his failure, but that's unfair. You know, again, Argentina, you know, not a lot of guys. Uh, they had again a couple of injury issues. A lot of guys didn't come good like they like Messi needed to go come good. And I said before the tournament, Messi playing for Argentina, it's not the same as Messi playing for Barcelona. It's not the same team. And I know it's strange to hear to say that a national team, especially a power like Argentina, is not as good as a club team. But that's what it was. You put Barcelona out there against Germany, and it's a different result. I'll promise you that. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, I, I know there were a lot of people out there that were um, happy with the final. I mean, I I, I love what this I love what the World Cup did this year. I mean, this was truly the first World Cup I could say that America really grasped in like. I mean, we've talked about it throughout the World Cup with how much fun it was to go to the watch parties and everything. To actually see the World Cup on ABC, to have people that don't actually talk about the sport actually talk about the sport was a lot of fun. That, yeah, you know what really changes that whole thing is if um is if that Columbus crew, the brother of that Columbus crew player, actually hits the goal. That changes the whole outlook of the whole thing. Yeah, oh yeah, and, yeah. An early goal for Argentina, a first half goal for Argentina would have drastically changed that game, and it would have been, it, it would have, it would have made 
Germany vulnerable because we'd see them in the trip. They were vulnerable on counterattack defensively. They weren't as as solid as some of the other teams were, even though they didn't give up that many goals. They scored so many, uh, which is not the worst thing in the world, obviously. But the, our, Germany down one nil at halftime would have been forced to to push up the field more, and they would have been vulnerable on the counterattack. So yeah, uh, yeah, Ingwain missing that chance and being outside for the goal he did score. Huge, huge factor. But you talk about the popularity of the World Cup. I think it speaks to a couple of things. You know, number one, you know, America's taking a greater interest in it. And you know, a lot of people, you realize for this point, too, you know, it's the growing Hispanic population driving you. Well, partially, that's part of it. But Anglos are watching, too. And it really shows, it's speaking to the power of social media more than anything else. You know, you, it was, you could follow things, you could follow games, you could follow uh, media people, you could follow players. There was a, there'd be a bar right at the top of everybody's Twitter feed, and you'd click on the game, it'd give you all the, you know, the tweets about the game, uh, and also all the players and the federations, excuse me, that were involved in that game. Uh, and, I was, and I was talking about this earlier uh, this afternoon on 1480 WHBC in Canton, Ohio, Lynn McDowell, uh, Co-hosting an old, long-time colleague of mine when I got started. Uh, they're one four eight zero WHBC. If you want to follow them on Twitter as well, and uh, but Lynn had me on a couple times during the World Cup to talk about this, and we were talking about how how great the interest was in the United States even after the Americans were eliminated. You know, the, according to AP, the final got about twenty five million viewers, and exactly. the United States was playing. And this you know, this is this is big. Because I, it's showing to see the ratings stay close to what they were when the United States is in it shows me that people are interested in the game as well. Yes, yes, the fact that the Americans are in it is great, and and I told and I told Lynn this too. The idea of America still being an underdog in the world of soccer is still very appealing, and we like seeing the attitude uh, that that, an Ameri- that the American team brings to the table. Uh, something you don't necessarily see uh, from the other countries, and there's there's a very strong appeal to that for America. But even after that, you know, people are still watching. It's showing more and more people are caring about the game itself. And as I said, you know, to, and don't, and now people are going to say, "Well, what happens with MLS?" And else? well, let's not forget, there's more than MLS when it comes to domestic soccer. You're going, hopefully, all the levels are going to see a, a bump. As, as far as that's concerned, because you, you know, we saw why you know, there were watch parties in places that don't either don't have MLS teams yet or don't have them at all, and we're going. All levels are going to hopefully see a change as far as that's concerned. You look at the Ameri- look at the American Outlaws. And, you know, admittedly, it was just primarily focused on the national team, obviously, but they're in a lot of places where with USL Pro teams or MPSL teams or NASL teams, and so. People think, oh, you know, if the MLS ratings don't jump way up or the attendance jump way up, then they say, oh, this is just a World Cup thing. No, don't, don't. That's not. It's not just MLS. All levels will benefit, and I think you know, you'll see. I think there'll be a bump, and I think this will, uh, because of the power of social media. Hopefully, this will filter down from the parents, uh, who, as I, as I said before, we're seeing a generation now of you know, twenty to thirty somethings who played as kids but are now participating as an adult as adults 
as, as for lack of a better word, consumers. They're watching games on TV, and they're buying tickets to whatever club they happen to be near if they're, if they're near one. And there is the difference, because that's what we all heard during the, throughout the 70s and 80s and 90s. That was what was going to happen. Well, it took about 40 years longer than I expected, but it's finally happening. And no, you're not, it's not going to be huge. It'll be more incremental. It'll be slow and steady. But personally, I prefer it that way. I, would, I, I liken it to the music business where you look at a band like Hootie and the Blowfish, who I love. I, I, like that. I like Darius Rucker as a country singer, too. But let's say they had the huge, almost right, I, they toured for forever throughout the Southeast. Yes. But when they got the one album, Crack Rear Window, it was so huge. There was just no way to, to, to top it. There was no way to surpass it. It was so huge so soon. And I don't, and I don't want to see soccer, the same thing happened to soccer. I, want, I would rather see that slower but steady growth of the game in terms, in terms of the TV ratings and the attendance. And I, think we, and I really think we will continue to see that. And the fact that what, what helps in this case is you know, the, you know, the NFL is a, is a year-round thing now. The NBA is becoming more of a year-round thing now too. But soccer literally is. When MLS season is ending, you're already a month or so into the Premier, the European season, especially the Premier League. We've seen the part of even before the World Cup, we've seen TV ratings increase, and part of it could be attributed to the fact that NBC, the NBC games, they were doing promos for MLS for the Europe for the uh, English Premier League. So, well, yeah, yeah I mean, they were going to, they were going to, which is a good, which is a good concept. Also, got a guy. Yes. Got to give you a little funny thing about that. You know, Crack Review Mirror has been out for 20 years. I was at school. I was a freshman in high school when that thing came out. So I don't want to give you too many gray hairs with that. And Hootie still does two every now and then because I'm, I've got, yeah, all, I've got, got all, do, all of that. They do a they do a few charity gigs. I know. Uh, I know Darius still does the uh, Monday at the Masters charity golf event at Augusta National the Monday after the Masters I, tournament. I, I have all of the records, actually. I, didn't, and then didn't I think I saw and I have all of Darius, too. And I was going to throw them on your you, you, know, you know what was the yeah, thing? Jim, I, before I forget, before I forget, didn't Jim Sonnefeld, the drummer, play at South Carolina? Yeah, they did. Um, That's what I thought. Sonny yes. played. Sonny played... Yes. Um, Darius kind of knows how to. He is kind of a fan. Sonny, I, Sonny, I can see. Play, Sonny, I can easily see playing. He's got. He just. If yeah. you look at it, yeah, that's a soccer player right there. No question about yeah. that. Yeah, and and I I know with um, Darius is very close with Dan Patrick. In fact, Darius has yeah. done Dan Patrick's show as a guest many times. And there there's one out. There's one I. One guest appearance. I have to tell you off here. It's not dirty or anything or weird. It's just <laughs> typical radio. But anyway, this will make you laugh so hard. Anyway, but anyway, what what I was thinking about the World Cup also is that it this made this I hope made the other made the other levels bigger because we're seeing with the Cosmos. And I think it they're was. not. They're not making that. They're not getting that much. I mean, you've got that many. Um, I was going to say listeners, but um, butts in the seats. But you see something like Sacramento, the Sacramento Republic, or or um, Wilmington Hammerheads that are just selling out, or Orlando City when they're not rioting. 
they're doing a lot. You know, I'm, I'm really happy about this because there are people that I know, and maybe this is because of all the ethnicities that are in different areas of this country. I'm not surprised how high the numbers were for the German Germany Argentina game because of how ethnic, how much German there is in this country. And it, just here in Ohio, you've got, you know, Cincinnati has a very large German population down there. And I know a couple of guys, a couple of the guys we had uh, with the Saints were German descent. Columbus has long had not quite as big a population, but there, there is still a, good, a German enclave, of course, the German village uh, neighborhood. They call them, even Cleveland, you know, I played for the one, uh, the one German club uh, out in Olmsted Falls on the west side of Cleveland, uh, which is still there, and it's been there for uh, at least 50 years. So just you know, here in the Midwest, uh, you see a lot of that, a lot of the, you know, the, Ger- the German uh, uh, ethnic, group, uh, ethnic group here, uh, because they, they came, of course, they came here, uh, you know, during, you know, during the westward expansion, of course, uh, but a lot of them stayed right here in this area rather than continue on. So the you know, the ethnic thing has a lot to do with that as well because uh, let's say you know we all came from someplace else yeah, that that that's obvious and it's so it's it's good you know it's one of the beauties of, of international sports for for Americans to watch is you know you obviously root for the Americans but we could also root for somebody who's got well hey that name looks a lot like mine you know it's it's, it's one of the great appealing things and that's and of course you talked about you know the lower levels like uh, like the NASL with the Cosmos and Sacramento Republic. That's why I say, you know, people need to look at more than just the MLS TV numbers to fully judge what kind of what effect the World Cup has had on soccer in this country. And that's, you know, you're not, people aren't going to be writing as much about, uh, certainly they don't have TV deals for the lower leagues. They have the, uh, they have internet deals in a lot of cases. Uh, but you're not going to be reading about the attendance that much, uh, Hopefully, we won't be reading any more about uh, our problems between Orlando City and Tampa Bay supporters. But it's good. And that's why I said the fact that there are so many clubs out there at so many levels in so many places, to me, is a good sign for the, for the game because the interest is more broad-based. Uh, it's, not, it's not in pockets around the country necessarily. Uh, it, makes for, it makes for a better foundation from a, from a fan base standpoint. And again, hopefully... Even when these places would have the small, the lower level clubs, uh, to develop more of a, uh, you know, a, not just a fan base, but a youth playing culture as well, that uh, hopefully can lead to maybe even the lower level clubs, such as the USL Pro. I mean, the USL Pro is probably more likely because they have the ties to be able But hopefully, even an ASL clubs and maybe even on a smaller scale, NPSL clubs can set up some kind of an academy uh, deal like we see with MLS, because as, as I said before. I don't think the college scholarship model is going to exist in 10 to 15 years outside of football. I really don't. And this, an academy setup is going to be more important than ever for the development of the youth player. Because Claudio Reyna pointed this on New York Post. It's that youth development that matters most. Not once they become professional, develop them once they become professional. It's developing them so they can become good enough to become professional. That's where the difference lies. But I, I think that we are getting to a point. I mean, we we turned this around many times about that the academy system, college, all this is going to have to change and all that. Yeah. It's, I, it's I, going. It's, it's not going. To, I don't. It's not going to be an easy sell. 
the, the advantage is if more clubs do it, uh, it's go at the lower levels. It's going to be easier because there's going to be more places. If right now the only realistic option for that is the MLS clubs, and if you're not near an MLS city, you know, selling someone on the idea, selling the pair idea, hey, we want you know, move down here, have your son join our academy and, and play with us and develop players. That's going to be a hard sell, you know. Now I know you know in Canada with junior hockey. And this has been a standard practice for, for you know, 7,500 years where kids leave their home and go build it with a host family once they get to the junior A level. They've been doing it for so long. It's, it's accepted up there, but it's a different country up there. It's a different culture. Uh, you, you read about the stories about you know, golf and tennis in particular because, because even though they're individual sports, I realize it's a little bit of an apples and oranges thing there. But you read stories about you know, parents they put all this into the, you know, get their, they send their kid down to, you know, like the, the IMG, Nick Voluntary Tennis Academy or what have you, trying to get their kid to become, uh, you know, become a big tennis star. And, you, not, and, you know, most of them don't make it. And you, we, you, we all remember the criticisms that uh, Stefano Capriati was hit with when Jennifer became, first became a big star at the age of 13. Richard Williams certainly got his fair share of criticism with the world with, with Serena and Venus, although it wasn't necessarily about making them stars necessarily. It was more about him drawing attention to himself. But you know, we, this, the stage parent exists in sports, too. There's no question about it. And it's, you know, people see this, and they, and they don't want to be, obviously don't want to be seen as such. So it's right now, it's still a harder sell to get, especially since the college scholarship option is still there. Now, that's what I said. You know, this that I talk, I talk about this college scholarship thing. Again, we're talking 10, 15 years before you start seeing serious changes, because it's going to take at least 10 years for the O'Bannon case and the other cases that are out there involving the NCAA and student athletes and that to go through all the legal challenges they're going to have to go through, because you know full well at least in the O'Bannon case, it's going to go to the Supreme Court one way or the other. It's going to get there, and it, it has to go that length before the NCAA can step in and say, okay, we got to do something. You know, Mark Emmer talks a lot about making changes, but until he's told he has to, I don't see it happening, but I think there's going to come a day where he's going to be told he has to, and that's when things will change drastically, and that's that's the paradigm I see, and, and this is for the, for the, you know, for the parents out there, and for, I mean, for people who even are parents right now, because it's those kids, your kids who are like your know, grade school, middle school, high school, they're not, they're still going to be in a world where they can go theoretically get a college scholarship to play soccer. It's kids who are maybe preschool or haven't even born yet. They're the ones who are going to be facing this kind of reality that's that I think is coming, and that's why this. It's important to, for people to realize that this World Cup effect is going to affect all levels of the game. And, and, and whole, if it, assuming it does, it's going to be good in terms of it's going to be a good thing, not just in terms of fan development, but player development. We'll be reaching more areas for players as far as players are concerned. Uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully some more underprivileged areas too uh, to go to get kids. Uh, from those kind of backgrounds out of there and into the youth systems and hopefully developing into professional players. JT and John Hartz were getting off on this, and John Hartz 
slowly, and I, I, I seriously, seriously hope Tinfoil Ted and his crew do not have satellite radio. I really don't. Because Hartz was, Hartz was talking about um, Matt Beasler and people actually moving on to the next level. Obviously, Europe is talking about how you have to break off signal into. I'm not going to open up that can of worms here because I, I don't I don't want Tinfoil Ted to start getting all, all happy again. Out of this World Cup, who do you think has made themselves money? I obviously obviously people want uh, obviously the LA Galaxy people want want Omar Gonzalez to go away fast. They've been wanting him to go away since the DP contract. Beasler is probably another one. Do you think Mick Stiskaru has made himself any type of extra money this time? He may have helped his case a little bit. I think the guy, other than Matt Beasler, who really did himself a world of good in terms of futures, DeAndre Yedlin. And he didn't play a whole lot either, mind you. But I think Yedlin and Beasler have the biggest futures in terms of getting that opportunity to go play in Europe. Mix has a chance, but I don't think it's as good a chance as, as Beasler and Yedlin have. And, uh, now, in terms of just making money, now, in terms of making money off the field, obviously Tim Howard. You're going to see more commercial with Tim Howard in there. I'll promise you. I'm surprised. In fact, I'm surprised I haven't seen him already. Uh, but there was a big story about him on Ad, on Ad Age uh, cover photo and everything. So yeah, Howard's going to see his off the field income go up a bit. I think here in the next month or so. But yeah, look look for Beesler and Yedlin uh, to get a good get a good hard look uh, from European clubs and. That's, I didn't hear what Harksy had to say entirely, so I can't comment on that. But you know, I, and I made this point before. It's not so much about going to Europe, to me, as it is about getting a chance to play in the first team. And I think, I think it's, to me, playing in the first team here in MLS is more of a benefit than just training and maybe playing an occasional reserve match in Europe. Trading is not the same as playing in a match. It, it's that simple. And and I admit, I'm not trying to claim that MLS is on a par with the Premier League, the Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A, or what have you. I'm not, excuse me, I am not claiming that. I'm just saying match preparing, it, it's, the, 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 the phrase in tennis is match tough. And that, to me, is the applicable phrase as far as soccer players is, are concerned, too. I, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm Matt Beasler or DeAndre Inland, I'm not just looking at Euros. I'm looking at, am I going to get a legitimate chance to play first-team football over there? If I am, where do I sign? If not, I'm staying here. And I don't, And I, I, my guess would be Jurgen Klinsmann is looking at it the same way. I really think so. I mean, yes, for some of the younger guys, he's made some, obviously Julian Green, he's made an exception. He's going more on potential there. But I think, you know, and it is, you know, the World Cup is for young guys. I think that was proven in this World Cup once again. But to me, it's more, you know, players should look at a move to Europe in the context of, am I going to play in the first team on a somewhat regular basis? If I'm not, it's not worth it. You know, Dempsey went over there, and he did play first-team football a lot, and look at where he is now. Landon Donovan did not, for the most part, either in Germany or in England. And I think I don't think he did. I don't think uh, he uh, his progression was as great as Dempsey was. Dempsey's was. 
because he just wasn't playing that much. So that, to me, the important thing is playing in first-team matches, not whether not the location. Well, I mean, do, do you – I mean, I, I, saw, I don't know if I brought this up the last time or I, I think I talked to, talked to Ruben with this. I'm, I'm mind-melting, but I'll – if you were, if they, if Beesler or some young age, young players came to you and said, where would, where's the best league for us to go, to, to move up, to make us better? I'm still thinking a lot of these players are to go into Germany and, and go into, I was going to say La Liga, but, um, into the Dutch league, because you, you see what you see what Oguzio is doing there. You see what Aaron Johansson is doing there. Josie yeah. tore that one a new one. I mean, where would you start placing these players? I mean, because we've got a lot of young players that are kind of simmering around that can move pretty quickly. I think because of the age factor, especially that you talked about, I think Germany would be a best bet because they've got a, group, a good group of, you know, not just the national team, but other clubs. They have this, there's this new generation coming through in their early to mid-20s. And for these kids to get at, at that age range, like at DeAndre Yedlin um, or a, a Matt Beasler, be over there and to be kids who are roughly the same age, I think that makes a difference too. You know, someone who's an older player, obviously there's advantages to that too. But at the same time, if I'm – for a younger player especially, I'm thinking my mindset would be you get out there and train with these guys and play these guys and say, hey, these guys are my age and I can do what they can do. I'm on their level. Whereas, whereas with an older player, you feel like there's no catching up because of the experience factor. You can't catch up until you get the experience. But if you feel like you can play with a guy who's your age, you know, there's, there's a confidence there that grows. So I, Germany would definitely be my first choice. Uh, I think La Liga would be second, and uh, the, the Premier League would be at, at no better than third, maybe even fourth or fifth, be, uh, fourth behind, uh, as you said, the uh, Eredivisie in, in uh, the Netherlands. Yeah, which would be fun. Obviously, obviously, it's based on the player, because, I mean, we seem pretty to do bounce from team. Country to country to country to country to country to country. Yeah. He's over in Greece now after flunking yeah. out at Alkmaar. I mean, it, 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 it's based on the player. And I, I hope someone like Giefer, because I mean, he's at Sporting KC. It's not like it's not like he's going to be held down, because Hermes is a very good manager and he kind of knows what he's doing. But if you can move him in, like, Yeldon to, like, Roma or Parma or something like that, I mean, even like Portugal, you'd have a lot of fun developing these players because you, you see the type of players that have come in that have done well. I mean, Bedoya did do greatly, but he was a, he was out. And people are also saying, oh, American Tim Howard became great. He became great because he spent 11 years over in, in England right now. I mean, look at Brandon. Uh, and, and he, Brandon. He, was, he was what? But here's the thing. It's the, this is, proves my point. He didn't, we didn't hear much about him when he was at Manchester United. Why? Did he get a chance to play? When he got a chance to play at Everton, he proved it. And that, 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 I'm glad you brought that up because that really illustrates my point. 
It's the play in the matches that matters, not necessarily where you are. I you let's say all things being equal, let's face it, I'd rather be at Manchester United than Everton. But if I know I got a better chance to play in the first team at Everton than Manchester United and I'm a twenty one, twenty two year old player, I'm going with Everton. It's the same it's the same thing if you're choosing a country. If I know I can play in the first team in LA Galaxy play the first team in LA Galaxy or, you know, you train with Julia Green on Bayern Munich's reserve team and never see the light of day in a first-team match. I'm going with LA Galaxy because I want that they, the match experience is what matters. And if they're not going to give me a chance at a European side to prove myself, if they're just using me uh, you know, as, a, as a sparring partner, for lack of a better word, or worse yet, and I realize I'm grasping at straws here a little bit uh, on this one, but or if I'm looked at and said, oh, gee, this is a young, talented American kid. We better not go overboard train this kid, or he's going to come back and bite our national team in the old Julius Maximus if we're not careful. Okay? <laughs> you, know, you, have, you have to think, and I, and I brought this up uh, on Lynn McDowell's show, too. You know, the point I've, I, I've said this many times, picture Mike Trout, Chris Paul, Richard Sherman, and Phil Kessel playing for the U.S. national team. Okay? You don't think the Europeans are shaking in their sambas or Nikes or whatever kind of boots they're wearing over that idea, that that kind of a top-notch athlete playing for our team? Now think about what happens. They get a young American kid in their team over there at some club, and they're thinking, wait a minute. If this kid becomes a star because a really good player, sooner or later he's going to be playing against our national team, and he might beat us, and it'll be our own fault. Yeah, again, I'm reaching, I know, but who knows? You can't tell me that no European management person hasn't had that thought in their minds at some point. I, um... Because they don't laugh at us anymore. They might still be condescending. They might still look down upon us. They might still have a de- kind of a, you know, decadent attitude about the whole thing, but they don't laugh at us anymore. Nobody in the rest of the world laughs at the idea of an American soccer player or an American soccer club. Fall in reverse. You know, we never dream, we never dreamed of the day when the Europeans would be coming over to the NBA in waves, but they are. And you know why? We did it. We took this game, took it around the world, showed them all how to play, and they eventually st- and they eventually started beating us. And when I say eventually, I mean 1988. 1972 was not a loss; it was a theft. Okay. I had to put that in there. But we oh, took course. basketball around the world. We t- What's that? Of course. I was, I, if you didn't say it, I, I was going to. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, well, we took basketball, took it around the world, and now the Europeans play in the NBA all the time. They can beat us in international competitions. And that idea when I was growing up was just unfathomable. Just like it's unfathomable at the same time that Americans would play in the biggest leagues in Europe. But now it's happening. And you know, let's, let's face it, I'm sure not every European person in the game is happy about it. I'm sure there's some people who view it with some trepidation, say, yeah, these Americans are improving. What happens if, you know, you know they get better athletes playing in the game? You know, or we're going to be trading more, we're going to be signing more of their players, and we're going to be helping them to beat our national team one day. Somebody's got to be thinking those thoughts over there. I really believe it. You know, I, I would hope so. And I, the, the other thing I would, 
The other other thing I would be doing, and I, I don't think you could do this with soccer, but it kind of was dawning on me, is that at, at all levels you have kids that are just missing out. Because to make it to the top level, great athletes are washing out. So once you make it out, peewees, whatever, you watch out. Soccer should be looking at these tryouts, say, oh, these kids aren't making it, and grabbing them. Say, okay, well, you're athletic for basketball. Why don't you come over here and play this? The other thing is, and we've hammered on this a lot, um, John Harks and J.P. Del Camera do this, uh, hammer on this a lot. Until you take the pay-for-play out, this is what's going to happen. And if and if you take, if you don't allow, if these uh, MLS teams don't start really scouting, they're going to backfire. Like, I'll give the example. I, I'm coaching and helping a, a minor league, uh, well, a refugee soccer club here in town, and I live not too far from Toronto FC. And I know Toronto FC has missed on some players here that are in the MLS that have come out of Buffalo, that have flat out missed. We're in their backyard, and they won't come down here. That's nine, it's only 90 miles. You know, I've made, I've made yeah. that trip a zillion times. Yeah, exactly. They, I say, well, but your your first point is it, absolutely spot on. I never, I never thought of that, but you're 100 percent right. Yeah, because you see, you see, obviously, you know, we've seen the huge growth of AAU basketball. We're seeing big growth in the seven on seven football now. Uh, yeah, where, where is the? You know, how do you do that? How do you as a, as you know, use soccer clubs? How do you go out there and say, hey? You know, we know you didn't make it in this, but you got some athletic ability, obviously. Come try this game. Uh, it's a brilliant idea. And, you know, the pay-to-play pay pay thing, you know, we've talked about before. And so, it, it, as you said, J.P. and Harks, you've talked about it. And, I mean, U.S. soccer has, you know, a, a program where kids can get into and they don't have to pay, which is good. But uh, it, that that, to me... Big, it to me is the big. I don't want to say stumbling block because I don't want to give the wrong idea. In it, but I think it's the big. It's the big challenge of how do we, you know, how do we find the kids outside of that system and get them into uh, a place where they can develop as players and maybe be noticed in terms of uh, youth national team programs or even colleges or whatever the case may be. It's it's a challenge because what you're dealing with, and this has been Kurt Larson, the Toronto Sun, was tweeting about a lot too, that they're facing similar issues in Canada. You're dealing with people who are in power, or in a structure, who, if you put in these kind of radical changes, could be out of that power structure. And let's face it, people who are in who have a position of power in a in a hierarchy of any kind are reluctant to give it up. Uh, so that that's it's something Jurgen has talked about changing. Uh, and I think it, it could be if we could find a way to get out of that mold. Because and again, this is where the academy system later on down the line could, could come in. Because again, we're still 
you know, soccer, obviously, it isn't as much as the other sports because because we only had you, know, you have the twenty four MLS teams, but people could still at least go to college, get a scholarship, play soccer, and you know, obviously, they never may, may or may not have a dream of playing the game professionally, but it's still an option. But and it's but it's it's something that's unique to, to the world in terms of athlete development. Nobody nobody else does this. Nobody else says, hey, you, know, you go through your high school, you play for your high school team, then you go on to university, you play for university, then you become a professional. That's not done anywhere else in the world. And this, you know, it would be nice if you had uh, you know, people in smaller towns and in hard-to-reach areas and underprivileged areas who could just take their kid you know, you're 10, 15, 20 miles away to an academy. They don't have to wear a lot of fording anything and put them in that where they're, you know, 10, 12, 13 years old and let them develop through the teenage years, uh, that would be ideal. But, again, you've got to dismantle a structure that's in place and there are people who stand to lose what they see as a lot uh, in terms of stature, privilege, power, whatever you want to call it. And how you do that with that, with that in place, I don't know. If, it's it's like it's like promotion relegation. If I had the magic wand to wave it, make it happen, I'd do it. But I don't have it, and I don't know what the answer is on that. Yeah, we we don't we don't want Tinfoil Ted jumping up and down jumping up and down in his little humble abode in Denver, Colorado, right now. That would be that that would be all weird and gross. And I don't want Stolar to be I don't want Aaron Stolar to be grumbling after that because I'm I'm sure he. But um, I know we talked about this Monday, but um, who honestly should avoid? I know Rodriguez. I'm not going to even try to. I'm not even try to butcher his name. Should have won the Golden Boot. Obviously, yeah. Uh, I'm not quite the wordsmith as you are, but um, he probably should have won it. Now, obviously, Lionel Messi got it because they do felt they did feel sorry for him that he didn't get to bring any silverware home. Now, I know you were quite quite perturbed by this on um, Monday. Yeah, I, I just I don't even think Messi was the best player in his own team. I really don't. Uh, I I think if you're going to pick uh, if you're going to pick an Argentine. As the gold ball winner, my choice would be Javier Mascherano. Uh, but again, the, those kind of awards normally don't go to defensive players. You know, it, it's yeah. How many defensive, primary defensive players have won the Heisman Trophy? One. How many? How many defensive players uh, you know win, win MVP awards? Whether it be football or hockey or, or baseball, or whatever. Not many. Okay. It's it's just it's and it, the main reason is it's harder to quantify. In terms of numbers, so that's and, and I know you know, soccer isn't as metrics based, although that's changing. We saw some of that on ESPN's on last call. We got a guest coming on next week uh, to talk more about that as well. But it was it was it was a, to me it was just a, it was a cop out choice. Uh, I really think that be. I mean, yeah, he played very well in the group stage. Yeah, he did. I think that's where he wanted, but he didn't do nearly as much in the knockout stage. But again, part of that. With the injury factor, he didn't have uh, the weapons around him, whether it be injuries, be Maria, uh, or guys who just didn't play up to what you thought they were going to play. And uh, you, you, the myth, you can, and Diego Maradona, they came up a lot 
intrinsic comparing Messi. And what people forget is Maradona did not win the World Cup by himself. Because everybody just remembers, what everybody remembers about Maradona is the game against, in that tournament, is the game against England. You know, and you know, the hand of God, yeah, we know about that. But the goal where he took the ball and ran 60 yards through seven English defenders and scored, that's the image everybody has. And, and there was the, the goal against Belgium, too, was the other one I was thinking of. But people have those images in their mind of Maradona in 1986 and say, yeah, he won it all by himself. Well, no, he didn't. If you go back and read, if you go, first of all, you look at the final, it was, it was having Bullishaga and Jorge Valdano were the guys that, yeah, he set it up, but they still had to finish. And he, and I remember Maradona even talking about Valdano and beating him in the final. You know, there were other players out there. People, Gary Pompey, the goalkeeper, people forget how well he played in that tournament. So, you know, Messi, as great a player as he is, he, he, he needs people around him uh, to help. Because the old adage is the great players make everybody else around them better. Well, a lot of times, in fact, as often as not, it works in reverse. The other players are out there, and they make the great player better. Because you can't, among other things, you, reason, you can't focus entirely on the one player. And... That's that's where Messi was lacking. As I said, he's not he was not playing with a team that played as well as his Barcelona team did. But uh, yeah, James Rodriguez would have been uh, would certainly have been my choice uh, for the for the Golden Ball Award because again, it was and it wasn't just goals. It was the it was you know the fact that he really out of nowhere and really carried the team with his play. I mean, he's got. You've got Real Madrid and Manchester United looking for him, and the asking price reported, they according to SciSports.com, is 65 million pounds. You know, and uh, Monaco, if they decide to sell off, is going to take us with a boatload of money off of him. Uh, but you look, you look at the Netherlands. You know, it's certainly uh, you know, guys like Arjen Robin uh, had, a, had a very good tournament. Daily Blind was another one. Uh, who had a good turn, but played both ways. Uh, he, was play, he was playing as a left back, and he still uh, set up three goals in seven games. And uh, or look at uh, uh, look at Origi from Belgium is another one who played well. But again, you're going to get when they pick that award, they're going to pick somebody who at least got to the semifinals, if not the final. So that's the way uh, that's the way that sort of thing works. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I hope and I know what's holding up Real Madrid is they want to sell Di Maria to PSG or P P Money Sign G right now to get the money, which is fine. And all these people spot swapping things here and there. You said you had a transfer rumor or a transfer. Well, wasn't it a rumor? It was a story I I saw. This just came out uh, earlier. Uh, this afternoon, uh, Liverpool have signed uh, the Serbian player uh, Lazar Markovic. They uh, just signed him uh, earlier today from. Uh, oops, that doesn't have that on it. I thought it said is where the club he's playing for right now. Uh, Benfica. That's it. yeah. He's a. They played for They just uh, signed. Was played for Benfica, and now Liverpool have signed him uh, as well. So that's uh, that's. Hopefully, good news for your club. Uh, another one, uh, uh, Besiktas in Turkey are 
their president has told NTV Sport that they have, they quote, negotiated a price we are happy with to acquire the Senegalese international Dembaba. So there's the, you know, the, the Premier League is is being pretty is pretty going to be pretty active uh, up until the transfer window closes. It certainly looks like. Exactly, sir. Uh, it's the last five minutes, and this is the last you're going to hear of me for a couple weeks. Next week is hopefully Keith Tinda and Matt and Matt Hoffman and maybe Derek Ritchie. I'm going to see if I can get a third for you. Um, guy's got an hour, hour and a half, depending on how much Keith wants to go next week. Because I'm, I'm leaving the complete show and the show and making up everything for him. So, and you said you already have a guest for next week. Yeah, I wish I wish I had the email that you that Matt Hoffman sent us, but uh, uh, we checked out a gentleman. Uh, Chris is his first name. Uh, I know that I remember that much, but he's uh, specializing in uh, soccer metrics and how that is impacting the game. And so we saw a little bit of that during the World Cup. I mean, ESPN had a guest on the uh, last call show a couple times uh, regarding that sort of thing, and I'm I'm not one. Uh, as far as soccer is concerned, I don't put a whole lot of stock in metrics, certainly not the way I would uh, in terms that baseball does. But uh, I'm definitely looking forward to having him out here, what he has to say about that. Uh, it's something, something pretty new to the game compared to other sports. Exactly. And um, hopefully coming up in two weeks, I, I'm going to try to work on either Phil Shane or Steve Cangelosi or some other type of big-time guy big time guy to get on for the show because we, yeah. we want to... Thank you for reminding me. i got to call Kanji this week. Yeah, yeah I completely forgot. I completely forgot you've got him and um, Phil Shane's numbers. Yeah, I've got, your, I've got um, Kanji. I know I have, I'm pretty sure I know I have Kanji's phone number because I saw him here in Columbus this past fall when he was uh, working for the Devils at MSG. But we're, we're going to have, have some fun coming up and well, a couple minutes left, and hopefully, hopefully, as we said, you guys became more fans of the of the of the sport. Sorry about that. And if you guys want to get in contact with us, he's Keith Kokinda on Twitter. I'm Yellow Card SCB, and we w- we would love to know how you guys would love to support this show. If it's if it's directing us towards a person that wants sponsor us or you want to throw some money at us, we're all here for you. I'm not going to sit here and beg every week, and I, I hope Keith doesn't have to beg next week. But we want to keep the show going, and hopefully hopefully someone in their in their great big mind look, looks back and says, yeah, we'll do this for them. Anyway, this has been Stephen Brandt. we got 90 seconds left, and I will talk to you guys in two weeks. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.